Honestly, I think we had a perception originally that plastics were the bad guy, that that was going to be the biggest impact. And of course, it is an impact. But the biggest eye-opener actually was the battery, which okay. there are these tiny, tiny little batteries that seem so innocent and harmless. But actually, it's the battery that has the biggest impact on our footprint for our products. Speaking of sustainability, a podcast where we talk to frontrunners, innovators, and business specialists on well, sustainability, and where they think their industries are headed, and more importantly, how they can make them more sustainable. Hi there, this is Hani Larma from EcoChain, and in today's conversation, I'm speaking to Jessica Klodniki, the Chief Marketing Officer of Skull Candy. We talk about everything from the e-waste problem and how companies can contribute to solving this issue and practical ways they have improved the design of their products to make them more sustainable. Stay tuned! So hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. We're super happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. I think what would be really nice to start off with is if you could shortly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do at Skull Candy. Sure. I'm Jessica Kladniki and I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Skull Candy. And I've been there for about four and a half years. Uh, but my background actually came from the outdoor industry, which informs a lot of the work we're doing, especially around sustainability. Nice. Cool. And of course, you guys are uh, a client of us, so I know a little bit about your sustainability journey, but it would be really interesting for me also to hear a little bit about what motivated you guys to start uh, measuring your impact and also improving your products. Yeah, so we are based in Park City, Utah, which is in the middle of a beautiful ski resort. And literally right out of our back door, we can see the ski hill and we can see the changes that are happening on the snowpack and the amount of snow and how long winter is lasting. So we've got just very personally and inside the building, a group of employees that are passionate about winter, passionate about the outdoors, and of course, passionate about climate. So there was that um, internal desire to do good to start, but also our company, even though we're a consumer electronics company that makes headphones, our origins and our DNA are more like an outdoor brand. So in fact, we were born on a chairlift, literally our founder conceived the idea for the company while he was out snowboarding. And so we think and operate and act more like an outdoor brand. Nice. We're always talking to our consumers to understand what's important to them. And we have a very young consumer base and we know that climate, sustainability, these issues are incredibly important to our young consumers. So that was really the initial prompt for us to start to really explore what could we do and how could we do better. We started engaging with an organization called Protect Our Winters, and they call themselves POW. And their whole mission is to activate people like us that are passionate about the outdoors and are particularly passionate about winter and activate them around the topic of climate advocacy but do it in a really cool way. So if you go and look at Protect Our Winters and look at the content they publish, they showcase all these amazing, beautiful scenes of skiing and snowboarding and trail running to kind of draw people in to learn about and understand how climate is impacting those activities. Mm -hmm. And so it's a really nice way to speak about climate to a much broader audience on a very complex topic and get them excited to think about it. And so that engagement with Protect Our Winters, we started supporting them financially and supporting them from a marketing standpoint. But very quickly, as we engaged with them, we realized, you know, we had to do so much more. So it was really just the 
very first step in inspiring our sustainability journey. Yeah, if people are using these products that you guys are creating as a company in the outdoors and, you know, you mentioned trail running or such things, it is important for all of us to, you know, realize the impact that it then has on on those environments and those places we are doing those activities and how we can also uh, help that and, and make it the situation a little bit better. Actually, I have, a, I have a funny story. I was, when I was a teenager, all the cool kids, I had a lot of like skater <laughs> friends and snowboarder friends. They were all wearing Skull Candy and I really, really wanted a pair of Skull Candy, but I, I couldn't afford it at that time. And I was like, okay, once I got a job as a, my first job, I was like, okay, I'm going to save up to get the Skull oh. Candy headphones, <laughs> which I did. Uh, so I got them, which was great. But I think it's also really nice to see that you know, since then, I personally have gone on a sustainability journey and made my made my way into into kind of trying to help other companies to be sustainable. And you guys have also been on this journey to make Skull Candy more sustainable and been on that sustainability journey. And now we've made our way into this podcast that, to talk about it. So I think it's it's really really cool to to think about that as well. I love that. I love and we. You know, again, the pressure, I think we have a young consumer audience, which we love, and there's greater pressure when you have an audience like ours that is predominantly millennial and Gen Z. They have much higher expectations of the brands that they, that they buy into. And so we feel like we are definitely starting to lead in this space, in the consumer electronics yeah. space relative to our competitors, yeah. um, because we know our young consumers demand it. Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw there was a BBC article just last week that mentioned a survey that was conducted with 10,000 people in over 10 uh, countries where 60% of the people had answered that they would likely switch to a rival of their preferred tech brand if they know that the product that brand is making is more sustainable. Oh, that's... I love that statistic. (laughs) I think that that just goes to show that it's sustainability can also be something that creates value for the company. Absolutely. I mean, I I do think it's a differentiator. Another neat statistic, we launched a program called Carbon Checkout, where we offer our consumers the opportunity to make their purchase carbon neutral. And then we invest in projects in North America and Europe to offset. And so the normal rate, I think the company, the company is called Carbon Checkout. He said the normal rate is like six or 7% adoption as people are checking out and we're tracking between 12 and 15%, which doesn't sound like a huge number, but really nice ratio of people that are proactively opting into that as they check out. And it just shows us more and more interest by our consumers. And then we're also seeing our buyers at the most major accounts that we work with in Europe and U.S., they're all very interested in understanding our footprint. Two years ago, nobody was asking these questions mm-hmm. of us. And now every year we are now having to fill out. And in fact, it's what prompted, <laughs> part of what prompted our relationship with EcoChain is that partners like REI, Target, uh, a couple of our partners in, in Europe, they started to conduct sustainability audits. Yeah. And we actually were very embarrassed that we couldn't answer the questions. We couldn't even answer the baseline of uh, what the impact was. And so, in fact, that was one of the biggest uh, impetus for us to sign up with EcoChain so we could just start to understand 
uh, the current state, and then we can start to address and fix things. Yeah, exactly. It comes with the knowledge of, of where you stand now to be able to make the better changes for the future as well. So what were kind of the, the hotspots or the impact hotspots that you did find through the measurements? Honestly, I think we had a perception originally that plastics were the bad guy, that that was going to be the biggest impact. And of course, it is an impact. But the biggest eye-opener actually was the battery, which okay. there are these tiny, tiny little batteries that seem so innocent and harmless. But actually, it's the battery that has the biggest impact on our footprint for our products. And of course, as the world has moved from plug-in headphones to everything is wireless and Bluetooth and true wireless, right. the majority of our product line now has batteries. And so that has really changed our thinking to think about how do we get battery life to be more efficient. I think what you said as well is, you know, batteries are something that are, are more and more used in products, actually. Like you might think the opposite, but if, if you have these chargeable headphones or, you know, we have all kinds of electronics that are now wireless and, and that type of thing. So it indeed might have a surprising effect on more types of electronic products. You know, one thing we want to figure out how to address, and we've been talking a lot about, is there is a pressure by consumers and a pressure from the trade, so the buyers that we sell to. We call it battery life wars. And so every time a new product is launched, it's got more and more and more battery life. And now we're up to headphones and earbuds that have like 34 hours of battery life, yeah. which sounds amazing for the consumer. But through some of our consumer research, we found out Nobody needs 34 hours of battery life. Like nobody's putting earbuds in their ears for 34 hours, right? No, like, I hope um, not. <laughs> it's plenty, you know, easy to plug in and recharge. And so unfortunately we've, you know, the industry is in this cycle of increasing battery life wars, which means bigger batteries, which means bigger footprint, which is not a good thing for the planet. So yeah. we're starting to talk about, is there a way we can influence consumer behavior and the trade buying decisions and even rally our competitors and start to have a conversation about, hey, nobody needs 34 hours battery life. Let's all talk about how we make more sustainable products and is 10 hours sufficient? Yep. So it's a big undertaking, but um, we've seen some interesting examples in other areas. There's a, an apparel company called Prana and they launched a program called the Prana Responsible Packaging Movement. So they wanted to do more responsible packaging, but their concern was it sometimes costs more, it takes more effort to figure it out. And even though they knew it was the right thing to do, I think, you know, just like the battery thing, you, you might disadvantage yourself competitively, unfortunately, by doing the right thing. And so they put together a really smart program called the Prana Responsible Packaging Movement, and they invited their competitors and anybody in the outdoor industry in that wanted to learn about it and challenge their partners, their competitors, challenge everybody to do better and do good. And so they've taken off their competitor hat in the spirit of doing the right thing. And they now publish best practices on better packaging. They host uh, webinars and they've got this huge list of great brands that have now also joined this responsible packaging movement, which we're proud to say we have two. And it's so unusual because again, we're this consumer electronics brand that thinks we're an outdoor brand um, lined up next to all the, these beautiful outdoor apparel brands. I think that's super cool. And I think what you said about 
kind of joining forces and taking that competitor hat off is just something that, you know, is necessary in this state that we are in the world. So I think everybody working together on that cohesive goal, you know, of course there should be room for innovation, but that innovation in a sustainable way. It's, it is also uh, important to think about what is logical and what is needed in the world. And also, I think that there is and there will be in the future a bigger competitive advantage for the companies that have started to already innovate their products sustainably now exactly. and not only once the legislation rolls around and, you know, that it becomes exactly. a must. So I think the, the companies that will group together now and work towards that that great collective goal now are actually probably going to get the positive benefits from that later on as well. Absolutely. And I, you said two things that I love. One is around legislating it. Like, I, I think the world is moving to a place where some of these things eventually will be legislated. Yeah. But I think it's really smart for companies to figure out voluntarily now how to start addressing those things. Because anybody who has been through any kind of legislative change like that, it becomes a lot more painful if you have to react to it than if you've been building it into the ethos of your company. And then secondly, you talked about innovation. It's interesting. The journey has been really interesting for us because, and my advice to anybody who's uh, navigating this is that I think there's a lot of brands that are nervous and a lot of companies that get nervous that if they can't be perfect overnight, then they get paralyzed and they don't do anything or mm -hmm. they are afraid to, to talk about it. And we are absolutely not perfect. We have a lot to do, but we have a mantra that we stole from Protect Our Winters, which is progress over perfection. Mm -hmm. And so what we've tried to do is address anything we can and take small steps. And those small steps are turn turning into bigger steps. But in the spirit of progress or perfe over perfection, it allows you to start to, to move, to start to find the areas that you can address. But secondly, I think what people bump into and what we bumped into is some of those changes on the surface, when you start to look at changing to recyclable packaging, changing to better, more recyclable materials. Today, unfortunately, a lot of those things end up being more expensive and it can end up being a deterrent to people, but it actually powers innovation. I'll use packaging as an example. We decided we wanted to commit to 100% recyclable packaging. Mm -hmm. Well, on the surface, when we first decided to make that move, it was going to cost us like a million dollars a year to make this positive change. Yeah. And so we wanted to do the right thing, but we also didn't want to spend a million dollars a year. And so we actually had to go back to the drawing board and go, okay, we got, we got to think more creatively. How do we do this in a way that at least is break even? And in fact, what ended up happening is it challenged the system, challenged the team, challenged everybody to get creative. And we decided to actually reduce the overall size of the packaging and make some more dramatic changes that in the end actually created a better footprint and we saved money. I think it forces some interesting innovation because you you have to dig a little deeper to figure it out. That ended up, now we have 100% recyclable packaging. We reduced the size of the product, which means we reduce the overall, not only the overall cost of the packaging, but the overall cost of transportation and all the supply chain costs that come along with that. So it actually ended up being an even better change when we went back to the drawing board to figure out how to make it cost neutral or better. Wow, that's super cool indeed this like kind of yeah creativity that that can spark is also a really important factor in this i mean 
we've been able to create all these amazing products and now we can use that creativity to to make them more sustainable and create new products that are more sustainable. I think that that's, yeah, that's kind of logical in a way. We have a product coming in the spring of 2023 that is the ultimate version of how we can do our best in the category mm -hmm. without saying too much. But by doing that, our intention is not to have like the one token eco product, but we wanted to create like the best of what if we could do everything perfectly? How could we address plastic? How do we address battery? How do we address packaging? Now we can't just have the one great eco product. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah. But we use that as a platform to teach us and gain understanding of, okay, now every product that we develop going forward from that one, how do we think about things and how do we change these things for the better? So EcoChain was an amazing tool for that. In fact, we've decided anytime we have a next generation product. So we have a headphone called Crusher, for example. Mm -hmm. We have a new Crusher every few years. Well, now we're going to show the footprint of the old Crusher and we're going to demand on ourselves as an organization that the new Crusher has to be better than the old. That every new product, every new generation has to be incrementally better than the last. Yeah. And we wouldn't be able to do that without the knowledge that we're getting out of the EcoChain platform. Oh, that's so great to hear. I think there was, there was a few things there that I want to touch upon. So I think firstly, I think it's amazing that you are also using the, the footprint of your old products to compare it to the new ones to show your progress. And, and it's like you said, it's not about perfection and being, you know, that 10 out of 10, it's about the progress that you're able to make and that you're, you've started that, exactly. that sustainability journey, because as you also will know, it's not something that happens overnight. So it's about continually looking at your products. How can we improve it? taking another look at it, improving it again. So I think that that's absolutely interesting. You know, we, we don't have a dedicated sustainability person in the building. You know, I sort of raised my hand to volunteer to help. And we have another woman in the business, Lindsay Bull, who is one of our sustainability leaders. But then we have a team that we call the sustainability action team. And they span everything from finance, HR, supply chain, product, marketing, it means that everybody's responsible for sustainability. Right. And I think sometimes I, I would fear if we had one person that was the director of sustainability, those are amazing jobs and a luxury if you can have it. But I would fear at first anyway, that everybody would think it was that person's job. And instead we've created a culture, I think that it's, it's all of our job. It means it's on everybody's mind now. And so it's really cool to see people come to the table like, our head of HR found a local program in Park City where you can do an audit of your business and you get graded like green, blue, black for like a ski slope, mm -hmm. how well you're doing as a business. And, but it gives you a roadmap so that if you're green today, you can move up to blue. And so we've got our whole business talking and thinking about it. And that's really like how we're going to make progress. So it's not just a marketing thing or a product thing or a supply chain thing. It's everybody's thing. I think that's super smart. And I've been hearing that more and more from companies, actually, that there isn't, there might be a sustainability person, but that it's actually more of a sustainability committee. That's also something that we uh, often, yeah, kind of vouch for to have more people from each team, at least one person involved in sustainability initiatives, because it is kind of, as you said, it's something that will affect the work of everybody as well. 
So whether that's the product designer or that's the marketing team yeah. or, you know, someone in procurement, it is something that affects each of those jobs. So them being involved in the decision making and really knowing what's going to happen, how is it going to affect their job? How can they utilize it? So marketing might know uh, about the consumer demand and they're more involved in that part. So they can come into the team and, and, and talk about that. And then the product designer knows, okay, well, this is a, a material that I think can work really well and it's more sustainable if they've measured the impact. So it is, it is really cool to, to see more of those people and different teams getting involved in that decision-making and, and also really cool examples that you have people actually coming in with those initiatives and saying, hey, I know a cool way to, to make this even better. I don't know what you guys' position is on carbon offsets, but it's something where we've been trying to get educated on we're going to experiment with a limited edition product that's coming soon this summer where we transparently share the footprint of the product, share all the mechanisms, all the actions that we're taking towards becoming a more sustainable business and offset that product. Yeah. And we kind of want to gauge the appetite of our consumers for that. And if they understand that, if they value that, and if that goes well, it's something we may explore more deeply. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's touched, you know, you know, finance now has to engage and, and buy into this idea. And so there's not a single function in the building that isn't involved in somewhere. Yeah, we also have some some offsetting partners who we're involved with and and how we kind of work together with them is normally when companies either come to us or them. We always talk about how the first step of, of offsetting is actually measuring your impact and exactly <laughs> what are you offsetting. And I think that that's, yeah, obviously you guys are, are doing that really well. Actually, we've learned a lot and it sort of really reinforced the need for EcoChain because I, we know it's a, it's a somewhat controversial topic. And we know there's a lot of businesses and brands that only measure scope one and two. And we kind of feel like that's cheating a little. Mm -hmm. If you're a product business, you really have to get to scope three and you really have to get to understanding the impact of your third-party manufacturers. And like, once we peeked behind that curtain, we were really happy we were working with EcoChain because we felt like it would be really disingenuous if we weren't really measuring all the way through to those scope three emissions at the product level. But unfortunately, I think there are a lot of companies that are only looking at kind of the surface level of things. Yeah, it gets tricky there because when you don't know your true entire impact, it is really hard to know, for example, yeah, like, what are you, what are you offsetting? offsetting? <laughs> or, you know, this so yeah. is always pretty tricky as well. And I'm curious because you said that, that your design choices and the way that you kind of look at all the product innovation, that that has changed. Can you talk a little bit more about how that process has changed because of the new knowledge that you have on these? We're in the early stages, honestly, but number one, you know, it's educated us on what has the greatest impact and what the levers are and what you can change to reduce the impact. An, an interesting outcome. So I want to talk about e-waste a little because e-waste and um, end of life is actually something we haven't talked about yet, mm -hmm. but probably one of the biggest problems for consumer electronics. Right. There is this pressure on the consumer to feel like they have to ditch their old version and go buy a new one. Right. And it's creating these massive piles of e-waste. And in fact, a crazy statistic we read recently was the amount of e-waste in the world weighs as much as the Great Wall of China right, right now. And it's getting worse. And so 
So one concept and one technology we have right now is called Skull IQ. It's an app that allows the consumer to upgrade the features on their earbuds over the air and basically make the earbuds smarter over time. And so not that long ago, when we wanted to launch a new feature, you literally would have to, you'd get rid of the old earbuds and then you'd go buy new earbuds. Now with Skull IQ, we've ex really enabled the extension of the life of this product so that you can keep them for much longer and you're going to get these over-the-air updates that deliver the latest and greatest technology to you so that you can keep them longer so that you don't have to dispose of them. So that's like a big wow. Uh, the, the biggest thing we can do is just not throw this stuff away, mm -hmm. keep it longer, use it longer, and solve for the end-of-life stuff. So Skull IQ, that's, that's one example. And then we've already talked about packaging, but all the way through from the plastics, the batteries, the lifespan of the product to packaging, we are now much smarter that we can think about those things as we, as we design. And I started to actually draft some design guidelines and design thinking that incorporates sustainability at the very outset so that it's not just designing an eco one-off product. It's just, it's just how they think going forward. Yeah. No, that's super cool. And I think, yeah, like you mentioned, the e-waste, it's just such a big problem and, and it is about, you know, trying to get the products to really last longer. I also recently saw, I think it was in the same BBC article, that only 20% of e-waste is currently recycled. That's such a tricky thing when those are ending yeah. up in landfills, most of it. So that is also, I know, something that you guys are are trying to work on, which is the the recycling of the products that you can't no longer keep yeah. in, in use as well. You're absolutely right. Most consumers don't totally understand how to get them to the right place to be recycled because you, you cannot take a pair of headphones and put them in the recycling bin. You put them in the trash, they go to landfill. You put them in the recycling bin. The, the local recyclers don't have the capability to break those down. And so... That's why that um, rate is so low. You mentioned the 20%. So what we've done is a couple of things. One, we've started to educate our consumers. So if you go to our website regionally, where you can go to make sure it gets to the right place to get recycled properly. So that's empowering the consumer. But one of the bigger waste streams is most retailers, when they get returns from customers, very often those returns are what we call buyer's remorse. Yeah. And so they've returned the product. The product is perfectly fine, but they, they go to, they end up going God knows where. And so we've started to retrieve almost all of our customers in the U.S. and many of our customers in Europe now. We are retrieving those returns. We're sending them to a third-party recycler. And those recyclers, they inspect every unit. And then they determine if they can clean, repackage, and upcycle and resell the product and give it a longer life. or if it cannot be upcycled, then they properly break it down and recycle it. So it's an amazing program. And we've committed to keeping a million pounds of e-waste out of landfill by 2025. And we're actually more than halfway there. So we probably set the goal too low and we'd be happy mm -hmm. if we can, we can exceed that. There's a lot of brands I know that have concerns about upcycling and putting those products back into market. And we, we did at first as well. But what we ended up doing is turning it into a positive, and we actually have a, a nice sticker on there that tells the consumer portion of those proceeds go back to protect our winners. So totally full cycle now, we put them back in the marketplace for a longer life. We get to give money back. And, and in fact, our, our recycling partners, they chip in, which is amazing. 
and we give money back to Pal so that Pal can continue to do the good work of advocating for good climate policy. So this is again like advice to anybody who's getting onto this journey. That end of life piece that that's one you can solve, I think, most quickly. Whether you're an apparel brand or consumer electronics brand, there's a resource out there that can help you solve this problem, and it's something that is good for everybody. I think that's super cool, and I think you know what you're doing in terms of also educating the the consumers about this and really making proactive effort to to collect the goods. A, you know, everybody address the e-waste problem. Um, there's avenues where everybody can channel that. And in fact, we have offered to our consumers, if you are, if you want to return anybody's headphones or earbuds, not just Skull Candy, you can send us your AirPods, your Sony Beats Bose, and we will make sure they get properly recycled. Um, and we give an incentive for consumers to do that. So, you know, everybody can solve that. And then number two, the biggest thing is the battery wars, because it's going to be hard for any one brand to address it if we don't all address it together at the same time. Because, you know, a, br a brand that goes first and has a product on the shelf that's only 10 hours of battery life next to the brands that are 34 hours of battery life, they unfortunately will be disadvantaged on the surface. And so we all have to do it together in order to make it work. Protect Our Winners would tells us and counsels us as a brand that our greatest power as a brand is actually lobbying and political advocacy. And so we do actually go to Washington, D.C. and to the Utah state government. And we actually participate in trying to help drive climate policy. And so use your power as a brand to communicate to consumers about the challenges, educate your consumers, and go um, participate in the political process to address climate policy. Yeah, I think that that's great. It is all about working as a collective. It's better that each brand is doing something than one brand is doing everything. So I think that's also something to think about. Totally. I would counsel anyone on this journey too, that like, if you get creative, there are ways that it's good for the planet and good financially. Because I think there's a lot of people in my seat and people trying to champion these journeys in their building. They probably bump up against some barriers at times. And some, a lot of times those barriers from a practical standpoint are costs and expense. But again, if you get creative, we can, we can see the gains that we're getting that, you know, we get financial returns from doing these upcycling programs. We can see the, the credit that we get with our buyers when we're talking to the buyers. We're getting credit with our consumers because now as they're making choices, um, if they have one choice over another beyond the, you know, price and speeds and feeds and features, the tiebreaker now is, is your brand. And the tiebreaker in some cases may be your values and your actions around sustainability. Right. No, I think that's really interesting. And are there any other people, organizations, or companies that inspire you in terms of what they're doing for sustainability in our society? Yeah, I mean, so, so many. And I think, you know, the outdoor industry as a whole is one we look at, one, because we affiliate with that industry, but there's like too many brands to name in that industry that are doing well. We look at, you know, what is Burton Snowboards doing and Patagonia doing? And I just, again, have to give kudos to Prana as a brand that they took it one step further beyond just addressing their own business and trying to champion 
other brands. So I, I just, I like to talk to the, about the whole outdoor industry and then there's some neat brands and, um, full transparency. I'm on the board of directors of this circular commerce brand called the pros closet. And there's brands like that, that aren't as well known yet. Their whole business model is circular commerce. It's kind of under the radar and it's amazing. They buy back as you as a consumer, when you're ready to sell your bike, we buy it, we pay you, you get money, you get to go buy your next bike. And then we inspect it, do an incredible, I think it's 127 point inspection and then refurbish it and resell it so that it again has an extended life. Their, their, their whole business is sustainable without even really talking about it, right. which is amazing. They don't even really talk about sustainability surprisingly, but the, the whole model is incredibly sustainable keeping these bicycles in circulation that um, would be useful in amsterdam <laughs> or yeah, Netherlands yeah. In general. Well, maybe, we'll make amsterdam our next market nice. <laughs> no really cool and i think um i think those are really great examples and and also as you mentioned the outdoor industry of course that's an industry that that sees it also firsthand in the in the activities that they're doing exactly i mean we are directly and maybe selfishly motivated and inspired by the, the selfish desire of like, I want to continue to ski. I want to continue to mountain bike. I want to continue to do those things. People want their children to be able to continue those things. And so I think it's a more acute problem for those industries because we see it, particularly for those outdoor brands. If there's no skiing, then your ski business is not going to do well. If there's no mountain biking left, if wildfires are destroying the trails, then I can't sell you mountain bikes anymore. And so I think the outdoor industry just sees it more acutely because if, if our consumers can't participate in those activities, then we can't sell them the gear that they, they need. And, and uh, so I, I think some industries maybe feel a little more removed from it. And, and perhaps that's why there's not as much a sense of urgency because they don't see it as directly and their consumers aren't demanding right. it. Right. Well, thank you so much, Jessica, for this interview. I thank really you. enjoyed it and I have a lot of really interesting things to think about in terms of consumer electronics. Well, thank you. We've very much enjoyed working with EcoChain and thank you for the time and letting us tell the story. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to our chat. Don't forget to follow and review so we know how you like the conversation. See you next time.